Gear up for the great outdoors with Forlo, the brand that's revolutionizing outdoor apparel. Forlo's non-compromised, 100% American-made outdoor apparel protects your body from the elements so that your mind stays focused on the hunt, on the water, or on the trail. Your adventure starts with a solid foundation, which is why Forlo's base layer is designed to provide the comfort and insulation you need to keep going when the temperatures drop. Their uniquely breathable down layer ensures that you stay warm without overheating. And since proper protection goes beyond insulation, the final layer, a waterproof shield, completes the system. From UPF sunblocking material that shields you from harmful rays to polygene technology that masks your scent, Forlow's innovative designs and cutting-edge material ensures that you can focus on the adventure, not the elements. Their commitment to innovation and American craftsmanship will carry you beyond the known and into the unknown where the journey truly begins. Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for 20% off your purchase. That's forlow.com, code DAILYWIRE. Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the Trump administration is over. Democrats have officially assumed total control of the government. Where do we go from here? We'll talk about that today. Also, five headlines, including Trump's confusing pardon of a corrupt Democrat politician. Plus, the media gets back to licking the boots of those in power. That's the position they're comfortable being in. And the mayor of D.C. defends the political vetting of troops. And in our daily in our daily cancellation, we will cancel multiculturalism. All of that and much more today on the Matt Wall Show. Before we get going here today, um, and we're going to talk about this, we have more to say about this as we get into the opening monologue. But you know, one question we're all asking, especially today and going forward is, what are some things we can do in the culture to make a difference? And I'll tell you one thing we can do is to find the companies that support our values and support them. Uh, and that really does make a difference. And that's why I uh, am a big supporter. And I would ask you to also uh, consider Charity Mobile, the pro-life phone company. 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice when you sign up for Charity Mobile. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. So you get a great you get great perks on top of, you know, your, your helping in the, the, the fight to build a culture of life in America. Um, also, there's no contracts, no termination fees. There's no risk with a 30-day guarantee. So you might as well try it out. If for some reason you don't like it, you're not locked in, but I think you really will like it. You also like the fact that you've got live customer service based in the USA, and you can always block cellular data, picture messages, text messages on any or all lines on your account, uh, and a lot of other, other things too. Free, uh, You get a free app to monitor your usage, to pay your bills, much more. Um, but again, what this is really about, you turn everyday living into effortless giving for the charity of your choice uh, when you get Charity Mobile. I'm, I'm a Charity Mobile user. I can't say enough good things about it. You can call them now at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. Here we are now at the end of all things. Well, the end of the Trump administration. So not all things, but that thing, at least. Joe Biden, uh, a man with the mental acuity and awareness of an oyster, is now in the White House where he will be taken by the hand, guided into a closet somewhere, given some coloring books to keep him busy while Kamala Harris runs the government. And it will be, let's face it, a radically far-left government, the most far-left government in American history by a mile. We can pretty much guarantee that. To make matters worse, there will be no constraints. There will be uh, no, no, no restraining it. They will be unfettered. They will be free like birds to fly off and fulfill their Marxist dreams. Republicans, you know, aren't good for much, as we've learned, especially when it comes to actually enacting and acting upon their own agenda. But they can at least play defense. They're decent at that. They can block the Democrat agenda even if they can't or won't push forward their own when they have the power. Only now, 
they will be unable or certainly at least less able to block anything, given that the Democrats won Georgia and thus the Senate. The Republicans could have won Georgia, if not for the fact that the Georgia race became a circus sideshow of grifters and carnival barkers raising money for their own benefit while telling Republicans to stay home and forfeit Congress to the left. Also not helping matters, the Republican candidates in those races could not themselves have been any less exciting or less inspiring if they tried. And they did try, it seemed. The upshot is that, again, Democrats have full control, and they will exploit that control to the fullest possible extent. They will show us what it looks like when power is wielded. Make no mistake. They will do everything that they have the legal right to do and a whole bunch of things that they do not have the legal right to do. Democrats impose their will when given the opportunity. Love them or hate them, and I'm very much a member of the second club. The fact is that when, 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 when put into a position of power, the Democrats do what their voters put them there to do. Republicans, on the, other, on the other hand, twiddle their thumbs and bide their time, waiting to be out of power again so that they can finally pretend to care about the agenda that they didn't enact when they had the chance to do it. Democrats don't play that game, as we have seen. And we will see even more in the years ahead. Making matters worse, the Democrats have a taste for vengeance now, a taste for blood. They feel that those who inflicted the last four years upon them, those responsible for making it happen, so, you know, 75 million people or so, should pay for what they've done. And they are determined to prevent such indignities from ever happening again. Whatever progress may have been made in the last four years, whatever good may have been done, it's all mostly stuff that can be easily reversed and undone, mostly by executive order. Trump actually reversed some of it himself on the way out the door. For example, rescinding his own executive order, banning administration officials from taking lobbyist jobs within, within five years of leaving government. So Trump, Trump saved Biden the paperwork on that one, I guess. The rest, Biden or his handlers, can do on their own without much trouble. Meanwhile, the conservative movement is fractured into a million pieces. Trump leaves office impeached and deplatformed, facing the possibility of a Senate conviction. Many others, uh, many other much less famous conservatives have also been deplatformed and censored, with the powers that be currently dreaming up ways to silence the rest of us. We are under suspicion. We are under attack. The left won by whatever means necessary, and now we are on the outside. We are scattered. We are disorganized. We are weakened. That's the reality of the situation. It's best now that we look it straight in the eyes, as uncomfortable as it may be. I'm not here to tell you fairy tales or delude you into a false sense of security. The right has been deluding itself for far too long, telling itself stories about secret plans and 4D chess and insisting that everything will magically work out in the end. Up until last night, I saw people still insisting that Trump would remain in office today and the plan would unfold and everything would be okay. They held on to the delusion until the bitter end. Some of them probably still holding on to it even now. I wouldn't be surprised if the new theory is that Trump is really president still and is secretly running the government from his bat cave somewhere. I'm not joking. This is, this is what some people will believe. Those of us with the boldness to face reality, though, will face it. And reality is, as I have described it here. So the question is, what now? Where do we go from here? What, what does the road ahead look like? Is all hope lost? Are we doomed? Should we give up? Well, I can answer those last three questions with a no, no, and no. Hope is not lost, we're not doomed, and we should not give up. As for what exactly happens or what precisely the future holds, that I don't know for certain. Nobody does. But I do know that even if we're bruised and beaten at present, we are not in a hopeless state. Despair is not the answer. 
And though I may be known as a guy who can be quite bleak at times, I'm not exactly a ray of sunshine, I must admit, I have never been in despair, and I am not now. And you shouldn't be either. Despair is what happens when you have not only no hope, but no meaning in your life. Despair is when you wake up and look around and you can't see that your life has any purpose. It's when everything is empty or appears to be from your perspective. You know, I I would hope that nobody would ever be tempted to feel this way because of political events. But from the sound and look of it, it seems that some people really are teetering close to that. It's not that these are Trump-obsessed cultists who can't bear to live without the man. It's that that they, they, they look around and they see that our government and our institutions are overrun and run by people who hate them. And they think it's all lost and there's nothing ahead but more defeat. And there's no point. And that's where the despair comes in. But it shouldn't. In fact, there is a silver lining to our present condition. The silver lining is that now conservatives can stop looking to one man in Washington to save them and save their families and instead focus on making an impact where it really matters and where it can really be felt. You know, the fight going forward is where it's always been, though we've neglected and ignored it. Focusing instead on national politics as though national politics is the be all and end all. The fight is in our communities. It's in the culture, on the local level. The true battle for everything is happening right around us, right now, directly around us. And we can make a profound impact there if we're willing to put in the effort. Let me just give you one tangible example. The school system. Millions of children, do you hear me railing about this all the time? Millions of children are sent into these buildings or into Zoom meetings now, I guess where they are conditioned and indoctrinated into the doctrines of the far left. We could have only Republican presidents for the next 50 years. It would make almost no difference culturally as long as we keep feeding our kids into this system. This is something we can change. We can change it. Right now we could. But it takes work. It's not always fun. We could pull our kids out. We can form homeschool co-ops. Supporting each other in our communities, taking charge of our children's education. We can do this. We can do that. Lots of us are already doing it. If enough of us do it, we can radically change the culture in immeasurable ways overnight, no matter what anyone in Washington says or does. 50 million children are currently enrolled in public school. 50 million. Cut that number in half, let's say. We could have Democrat presidents for the next 50 years. And that would, that would also almost not matter at all because we will have so significantly taken back control of our own families and thus the culture. The condition of the family is what determines the condition of the culture. This, as I said, is just one example. There are plenty of others, including in the realm of politics, local politics. Go to your town hall meetings. Figure out who your local council members are. Do you even know? These people have more control over you than you think. Speak out when things are happening in your neighborhood and community that you don't like. Protest the drag queen story hours. This stuff matters. Don't listen to people who tell you it doesn't. In fact, at this point, any conservative who tells you that the culture wars don't matter, please, if, if, if they're going to be any change we make, disregard them, dispense of them, throw them out. We don't need them. How can you expect your voice to have any imp- impact on anything? If there are drag queens performing for children at your local library two blocks away and you say nothing and do nothing about it. Oh, we can't do anything about it. Really? We can't. 
If all the people in the community that didn't like it showed up at that library, you don't think that'd be enough to put an end to it? It would. It happens because we don't show up and we don't do anything. We could, but we don't. It's not all a matter of protesting things either. You know, on the other end of it, we can support the people who are making a positive difference. Donate to your local pregnancy center. Give to your church. Get involved in your church. These are all things we can do. There are plenty of other things too. It may not be dramatic or flashy, but the real work of fighting to reclaim the culture and your country is rarely dramatic or flashy. The real work is being done by serious, sober-minded people, usually without fanfare and without notice. That's where our focus should be. It's where our hope lies. It's why I haven't given up. Quite the contrary. I'm ready to fight. Fight in a meaningful way. And I hope you are too. So let's get to it. And now time for our five headlines. All right. Um, I know we just uh, had a serious talk there about all the things in the culture to, to fight for. Can I, can I just mention one other thing? Not quite as serious, but it's on my mind because uh, right before I went on the air here, I was in, I was in the break room and uh, somebody brought uh, donuts to, to the office. And there's a you know box of donuts there. And th- there's, there's this moment, of course, when you walk into the break room and there's a box of donuts and a moment of joy when you see that box and you think my, the, the whole day is made, a free donut. I wasn't expecting this. And, but then what, what, what always happens? You open the box, and this is what just happened to me. Nothing but powdered donuts and jelly donuts in there. That's all that's left. There's like one half of a powdered and then a few jelly donuts left. Okay? Here's my point. Why do we bother putting these trash filler donuts in the box? They are always the last ones left. Everybody knows this. At, at, at the end of the day, there's always a couple of donuts left, and they're always the jelly and powdered donuts. So when you're going to Dunkin' Donuts to get the donut, why tell, it's not like they're cheaper. Why tell them to put those filler donuts in there in the first place? Stick with the classics, the ones everyone likes. Glazed, chocolate. There's never a glazed left. When's the last time you picked up a box and there's a glazed left? Never. Those get eaten. This is very important. This is, this is another thing we could do to reclaim the culture. Just get, a, get, get control of the way that we uh, set up our boxes of donuts. Okay, number one, uh, Trump released his list of pardons earlier today. Um, lots of people hoping he'd pardon Assange and, and Snowden. That didn't happen. Instead, he he pardoned some rappers, uh, some drug dealers. He, he pardoned, pardoned Lil Wayne. He pardoned this guy Kodak Black as a, a rapper. Uh, but by the way, a, a rapper who who I believe made a music video where he's portrayed choking a, 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 tr- a Trump supporter. <laughs> the anti-Trump rappers. Trump commu- commuted his sentence. Um, also, one of the guys who, uh, one of the guys behind Death Row Records back in the '90s, the, also a drug kingpin. He was arrested for a bunch of charges, including uh, kidnapping and attempted murder. And he got a, a pardon because his friend Snoop Dogg asked Trump. Now Snoop Dogg also has a video, and in his video, I think he's actually killing Trump himself. Well, not actually Trump, but uh, an actor. But he asked for a pardon. He got one. Assange and Snowden didn't. Uh, also, th- this was kind of confusing. The, the ex, um, ex-Detroit mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, got a pardon. Democrat mayor, cartoonishly corrupt. 
this guy is. He's like the, he's like the mascot for corrupt politicians. He pretty much did everything that a corrupt politician could possibly do. He was corrupt in every possible way. Um, very efficient in that way, in his, in his corruption. Let me read a little bit from the Detroit Free Press on this. It says, U.S. Attorney Matthew Schneider, who has long argued that Kilpatrick deserves his 28-year prison sentence and should not be released early from his crimes, blasted the commutation decision. Uh, he said, my position on the disgraced former mayor of Detroit has not changed. Kwame Kilpatrick has earned every day he served in federal prison for the horrible crimes he committed against the people of Detroit. He is a notorious and unrepentant criminal. Schneider added, Kilpatrick has served only one quarter of the sentence that was very appropriately imposed. Thankfully, thankfully, under Michigan law, he cannot hold state or local public office for 20 years after his conviction. Um, but Detroit Mayor Mike Dugan, Democrat, had a different take. He said, uh, Kwame Kilpatrick is a person of great talent who still has much to contribute. I know how close he is to his three sons, and I could not be happier for them being together again. This is the decision that President Trump got right. So it's not even that he's innocent or he didn't commit. No, he committed the crimes, but he's talented, and um, you know he has he has kids. So just le- just let him out of prison. Um, Kilpatrick, who resigned from office in 2008 following a text message scandal disclosed by the Free Press, has been serving a 28-year federal, 28-year federal prison sentence following his 2013 conviction on multiple corruption crimes, including racketeering, bribery, extortion, and fraud. All of his appeals failed over the years, though both Kilpatrick and a group of his supporters, uh, including millionaire businessman Peter Karamos, had appealed to Trump last year seeking clemency. And now he gets it. He does have a lot of debt, though. Um, a lot of debt de- uh, stemming from uh, the, the, the fraud and corruption that he committed while in office, bilking the taxpayers. I mean, this, this is just, this again is a corrupt politician who actually got what he deserves. He got 30 years, he got three decades in prison. Thank God, right? How many of these people get away with it? Get to go on, become lobbyists or whatever, or they, you know, they stay in office. He actually went to prison for once. And then Trump comes along and says, that, never mind, you, you can get out of prison. You're good. It is it's just outrageous. Uh, law and order, right? Law and order, folks. This is what law and order is all about. Meanwhile, Trump also is, uh, in the, he hasn't said this himself, but he, he uh, is, is reported to have entertained the idea of starting his own political party, third party, that he would call the Patriot Party. I like the name. You know, I'll say that much about it. But I will say, though, you know, whatever your position is on this, j- just, just so you know, um, if somebody comes along from the right and makes a serious attempt at a third party, here is what will happen. We could put aside any fantasies about what, what we hope happens. It just Let's talk about, again, we're talk, dealing with reality. Here's what will absolutely happen if we get a third party from the right. And it actually gets some attention. Like it actually, it actually attracts some people. Um, it makes a serious run. What will happen is that we will have Democrat supermajorities in Congress and a Democrat president for the next 20 years. Or really, forever. They'll just be in office forever. Because the, the opposition can... can, can it, it, we barely have enough numbers as it is now. You split it in two or into thirds, you start, you start fracturing. There's no chance. We just don't have the numbers. We can't do it. So that is a, I, I, a, a, just a horrible idea, um, and that is not something that we should at all entertain. But again, in fairness, this is just a report from the media. I don't think Trump said it himself, so hopefully it's 
All it is, just something from the media. Okay, the mayor of D.C., Mayor Bowser, speaking of uh, bad mayors, had some things to say in a press conference yesterday. Um, let's, let's take a listen to that. Yesterday, I was also heartened to see Washingtonians posting photos of their neighborhoods on social media and tagging them with We Are D.C. It is a much needed reminder to the world that our city has so much to offer outside of the federal enclave. And actually, all of these neighborhoods are what will become the 51st state of Washington, D.C. So keep sharing those photos. Make sure that you're signed up for inauguration alerts. Remember that if you see something unusual, say something. When you have um, guards coming, guards, men and women coming from all over the country at this time, uh, I do think uh, that it is is prudent uh, to make sure that that they are being vetted uh, and that anybody who cannot pledge uh, allegiance to um, to their mission uh, and may be pulled by other views needs not only to be removed from this duty, they need to be removed from the guard. Okay, so we have a couple of, couple of things there. First of all, she's talking about statehood for D.C. Um, you want to talk about another thing that will guarantee Democrats in office forever. There's another one. And that's what, and that's why I said Democrat. Now, I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not, but uh, Puerto Rico, they want statehood for Puerto Rico too. But once again, Democrats, when they have power, they use it. They will use their power when they have it. And they're going to use it this time. Not Republicans though. That That's the dirty little secret about Republicans that, that at this point I hope is not really a secret. I hope everyone's caught on to it by now. They don't actually like being in power. Now, they, they, they might like some aspects of, of having political power. They, they like some of the perks that comes with it, the prestige, the money, the, the, you know, the, the opportunities uh, for money, both legally and not. But the responsibility that comes with power of actually having to do all the things that you said you were going to do, that's the part they don't like. And so they much prefer to be in power, but to not actually have the ability to do much with it. That for them is the sweet spot. Democrats say whatever say whatever you want about them. They actually they don't want just the prestige of being in power. They want the, they want the control too. They want that because they they want to do something with it. And that's what we're going to see here. And then also she's talking about political uh, vetting vetting of the troops, political vetting. And this is just blatantly illegal. But once again, this is what they. This is what they can do and will do. Number three, I have to say, this is almost comforting just in its normalcy for the media to be back to doing what it does best, which is licking the boots of those in power. They haven't been able to do it as really at all in the last four years. And you could tell they, they've been starving. They've been starving for some boots. And uh, now, now or, or some Chuck Taylors, as you know, that's why they're so obsessed with, um, with Kamala Harris's shoe choices. So now they can get back. They can assume the position and they can get back to doing what they love to do. And uh, here's, and here you, you, you just see the glee on their face. Like, finally, once again, we can worship those in power. Here's somebody on, on CNN talking about, fantasizing really about Joe Biden embracing the whole country. Joe Biden reaching out his arms and embracing the country. Um, now personally, I don't want Joe Biden to embrace me, but... 
Let's listen to this. And the contrast on display tonight was so stark. I mean, those lights that are that are just shooting out from the Lincoln Memorial uh, along the reflecting pool. It, I look, it's like almost extensions of Joe Biden's arms embracing America. Embracing America. Oh, yeah. He, Joe Biden will embrace America. All right. He'll embrace us all. It's Joe Biden reaching out and, if you will, sniffing the hair of America. He is, he is sniffing our collective hair. Only I'm not very comforted by that. And this paternalistic, this is, this is the thing that's going to really nauseate me. Um, you know, the hero worship, the, the idolatry of politicians. I'm not a fan of that. But especially that when, it, when it takes on this sort of paternalistic flavor. As if this is our, 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 our great father that we are looking to for comfort in this time. But also it could take on a, a religious flavor, and that's what we hear now on MSNBC. Listen. Thinking about all of those folks who just for the moment, the nation shared their grief. Oh, what a first step. What a beautiful step. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm reminded of the psalmist. You know, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Um, maybe the death will speak to us now. Maybe they can rest now. It sounds to me like he's, I don't want to misinterpret him, but it sounds like he is comparing Joe Biden to God as healing the brokenhearted, repairing our wounds. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think, I think that's what he was going for. Of course, during the primaries, you know, it goes without saying, but the, the, the media wasn't saying any of this really about, about Biden during the primaries, uh, or especially Kamala Harris. So this religious idolatry, this, uh, you know, this, this embracing him as this almost godlike character, that only happens after he wins, obviously. All right, number four, Axios has a, a story about that garden of heroes that Trump was trying to get off the ground. Who knows what will happen with that now, but um, that was uh, all the statues of American heroes that, that Trump wants to erect. Love the idea. As, as I said yesterday, uh, I, I think whenever a Republican is in office, if that ever happens again, uh, they should just put up statues all over the place. And yeah, the Democrats are going to come back around and start tearing them down. But just we, it's, it's just a, it's a war of attrition now. Just keep putting up the statues. Make them bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why I say 2024 Republican primaries, whichever Republican gets up there and promises to build a 50-foot statue of Christopher Columbus and put it right in the middle of Washington, D.C., I will vote for that person. I don't even care who it is. But um, Axios is complaining because uh, their headline is Trump's American heroes are 73% men. Delivering on a promise he made at, a, at Mount Rushmore this summer, President Trump yesterday released his 244 candidates for a National Guard of American heroes. By the numbers, men outnumber women nearly four to one. 86 of the nominees, nearly a third, were born between 1900 and 1950. Uh, and then we get some of the other numbers. But I guess we're supposed to be upset about that, that so many of them are men. You know, th there is, you could see that as sexist if you want to. The other way of looking at it is, wow, there have been a lot of men who are American heroes. That's great. Maybe we should be grateful to them. You know, maybe men aren't so horrible after all. Maybe toxic masculinity isn't such a bad thing because when you go back through history and you look at American history and many of the people, not everybody, but many of the people who have uh, achieved great things and have helped to 
form and establish this uh, civilization that we all are living in were men. Well, maybe a little bit of gratitude. Just a thought. Number five, a report from Oregon Live. It says a car thief who discovered a small child in the backseat of the SUV he boosted on Saturday in, in Beaverton drove back to the child's mother, demanded she take the child out of the back seat, and drove off once more, according to police. Officer Matt Henderson said uh, he actually lectured the mother for leaving the child in the car and threatened to call the police on her. The crime occurred at 9.10 a.m. in the parking lot of Basics Meat Market. Uh, the mother parked just outside the, store front, the, the, uh, the store's front door, went inside to buy a gallon of milk and some meat. She was never more than 15 feet from the car, but she made a critical error. She left the engine running and the doors unlocked. What she did was not a crime. She was within sight and sound of her child, but she left the car running. So that extra step, take the car keys with you. It's a good reminder to take extra precaution when we have our little ones. This is the uh, police officer being quoted. Anyway, in that little bit of time, car thief jumped into the car, didn't realize there were kids in there, and he drives off and then sees the kid, turns around, comes back, delivers the kid, gives the mother a little lecture about parenting safety, and then drives off. You know, this thing, um, I don't want to get myself into trouble, but this stuff about leaving kids in the car, well, you never leave a kid in the car, ever, even for, even for one second. I mean, I hear from, from mothers who, this is their excuse when I go off on my, my normal rant about returning car, uh, your, your shopping cart in the parking lot. And one of the excuses I hear from mothers, and I assume this is just an excuse, or maybe they really mean it sincerely, is that they don't want to leave their kid in the car to return the, the, the uh, shopping cart. It's like, so what you're saying is you, you, you don't want to leave your kid in the car and walk 20 feet away when you could see the car the whole time, you won't even do that? What do you think is going to happen? Now, yes, in this, in this extreme circumstance, the car was actually stolen. But even then, just to show you how, how, you know, how rare it is, actually, that, that kids are kidnapped by strangers, it almost never happens. In almost every single case where it happens, it's a family member. So even in this case, it was a bad guy, stole the car. He still came back around and said, here's your kid. Um, so really that's not much of a concern. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't quite understand this idea of like you, you never, ever, I mean, obviously you got a young kid, it's hundred degrees outside. You don't leave your kid in a, in a, in a locked car, no AC. Obviously you don't do that, but it's a mild day out. No concern. You lock the door. You just, you run 15 feet away, come back. I don't see a problem. I, I, when I was a kid, this was really common. I don't get my parents in trouble, but I feel like when I was a kid, right, when, when like my generation, when we were kids, this, I, I can remember many a time of like waiting in the car for my parents to go do something. It wasn't, it wasn't hot. We weren't, you know, we weren't dying from the heat, but it's a pretty common thing back in the day. And it's just another thing that we've decided now. There, there are so many things that our parents used to do, and it was, it was normal for parents to do for generations. And now we've decided that if you do that thing, you are an abuser and, and you should go to prison. So many kind of like shortcuts and, and just little things like that that our parents were allowed to do, we can't do that anymore. Not for any like statistical or, or reason, but just we've decided you can't do that. So there's a long way of saying I am, uh, I'm going to defend the mother on this, on this one. Just don't, you know, yeah, probably don't leave the, key, the car, keys in the car and the door unlocked in the future. You might have this on your mind um, thinking about catastrophes, emergencies, disasters. I don't know. You might be thinking about that today. And if you are, then you got to make sure that you prepare, prepare yourself for any emergencies 
that, uh, that, that, that might come up. That's you know, part of just being an adult, uh, being a grown-up, is to be prepared. And that's where ReadyWise comes in. ReadyWise is the leader in emergency food supplies, and, and, and they also are, have, have a lot of different products. They've got emergency meals. They've got freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition. They also got adventure meals for hiking and camping. Uh, if you like to go outdoors, you know, as, as, as I do, you want to grab something really quick before you're heading out, maybe going for a hike or something, then you can grab their adventure meals as well. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. You can order online and have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. ReadyWise uh, products are proudly made in the USA, so you're supporting an American company who makes their products in the USA. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. You can order online, have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. When preparing um, their meals, all you need is four cups of water. The water doesn't even have to be hot, so you really don't need much. You simply pour the food into the water, you stir and cover about 15 minutes, the meal is ready. Um, some meals can even be prepared directly in the pouch, eliminating the need for extra additional supplies. Just, this is something you want to do. I would, I would recommend going to readywise.com, looking at all their options, and thinking about this today, uh, because if you get to a point where you feel like you needed to have this, well, then it's too late. Uh, it's too late to be prepared after the fact. So go now. This week, my listeners can get 10% off ReadyWise.com uh, at ReadyWise.com when entering Walsh at checkout or by calling 855-475-3089. ReadyWise has a 30-day, no-questions-asked return policy, so there's no risk in taking the initiative to get you and your family prepared today. That's ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com. Promo code Walsh to get 10% off. And uh, we've been telling you, of course, about Run, Hide, Fight, which is our new movie last Thursday. Was when we when we uh, got into the entertainment space. Finally, our first foray. Certainly not going to be our last. And uh, if you want to see what everybody's talking about and watch this movie, you can stream it on demand from our website, mobile or streaming apps on Apple TV and Roku. If you aren't a member yet, then here's what you got to do: use promo code RHF to get 25% off. That's RHF for 25% off. As we've been telling you, like this is a movie that the people like. It's got 95 or 96% rating at, uh, at Rotten Tomatoes, 14% from the critics. Critics don't like it, the people do. Side with the people, I say, uh, especially when it comes to movies. We're excited to bring you great stories that Hollywood refuses to tell, and we hope you'll join us and become a member today over at dailywire.com. And remember, you get 25% off when you use promo code RHF. So go watch the movie, but first, we will get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we're going to cancel multiculturalism. Now, what precipitates this cancellation is a tweet from the now former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Pompeo, as, as I'm informed by the New York Times, infuriated many American diplomats and many other Americans when he attacked multiculturalism, saying, and this is, he tweeted this, Wokeism, multiculturalism, all the isms, they're not who America is. They distort our glorious founding and what this country is all about. Our enemies stoke these divisions because they know they make us weaker. That's what he said, Mike Pompeo. Now, this, of course, is completely true. And well said. And the sort of politically incorrect truth that we certainly will not hear emanating from a presidential administration at any point again in the next four years. Um, he was condemned, though, as a racist for this. Just one example, our dear friend Ibram X. Kendi said, in a multicultural society like the U.S., what happens when people oppose multiculturalism? Well, they, the, uh, the, they standardize the cultures of white folk, call them America, implore the rest of us to assimilate. When we refuse and opt to be ourselves freely, they call us anti-American authoritarians. That's what Kendi said. Now, this is an interesting critique because he references the culture of white folk. But I've been reliably informed that white folk don't have a culture. I've been told that 
There's no such thing as white culture. I've been told that this is precisely the reason why white people aren't allowed to talk about white pride or express any positive or affirming feelings about being white. I've been told that other races or ethnicities are allowed to have pride in their race, in their ethnicity, because they are, you know, really expressing pride in their culture and their heritage. But white people don't have a culture or heritage, I have been told. So that if a white person says he has white pride, what he really means is that he's racist. Now, though, Ibram X. Kendi, who we recall is an expert in matters of race, he'll tell you himself, he says that white culture is a thing. Does that mean that white pride is back on the table? Well, no, because, you see, white people have a culture, but the culture is racism. That's all that defines a white person. So if you have pride in your white culture, you have pride in racism, which means you're racist. You're also racist regardless, because all white people are inherently, you know, and it's not racist to say that about white people, though, because only white people can be racist which is a pretty sweet deal for everybody else. You know, everyone else, you can just say whatever you want. Can't be racist. But this is all irrelevant anyway, because the critique of multiculturalism has nothing to do with race. Culture, if you believe the dictionary, is the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or or social group. What this means is that a multicultural country, not multiracial, multicultural, is one where there is a hodgepodge of customs, institutions, arts, etc., And if there is such a hodgepodge, such a multiple of cultures, that means there is no shared culture. There is no shared American experience. If America is a multicultural country, then America is a culture-less country. This is the paradox. If a country has multiple cultures, then it has no culture. And so the critique of multiculturalism in America is not that there are too many cultures, but that there isn't any culture. We have no shared cultural identity as a nation. And if we do not have any shared cultural identity, then we do not have a cultural identity. Unless our shared identity is our lack of one. Christopher McCandless, who wrote a, whose, whose story was documented in the book and then the movie Into the Wild, worth watching the movie, uh, by the way, if you haven't seen it. He left his family and friends to go off into the wilderness um, decades ago. Eventually, he had traveled all the way to Alaska, where he lived in the forest for a time before dying after eating some poisonous berries. Shortly before he died, he wrote in his notebook, happiness is only real when shared. That's the lesson he learned in his journey, and he learned it the hard way. We're learning a similar lesson also the hard way. We're learning that culture culture is only real when shared. And that's the problem with multiculturalism. The left would say that this is not a problem, that cultures can all live together in the same country in harmony and with a common sense of purpose. But if that's possible at all, which I doubt, They are the very ones making sure that it does not happen because they pit cultures against each other, rank them on a hierarchy of victimhood, and insist that cultures do not share anything with each other. Now, perhaps in theory, the multicultural experiment could work if all of the cultures shared and were influenced by each other, forming the fabled melting pot that we uh, used to hear so much about. I'm skeptical about whether such a thing could even happen theoretically, but we know that it's not happening in reality, and the very people pushing multiculturalism are the ones ensuring that it doesn't. We cannot borrow from a culture or be influenced by another culture because uh, because then we're accused of appropriation, as if a culture claims actual proprietary rights over its customs customs and cuisine and art, and if somebody else from the outside partakes in it, then somehow the members of that culture are losing something. They're having something taken from them. You know, if you, if you wear a, uh, a you know, the a, 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 a traditional outfit of another culture, 
then 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 in some way somehow that means that what you're you're stealing it from someone in that culture they are now being deprived of something because you're wearing the same thing they do if multiculturalism could work it certainly will not work if the interactions between cultures is treated as a zero sum game and that is how the left treats it all but guaranteeing that their own experiment will fail fail at least to produce a prosperous and healthy country, if that was their goal. But if the goal is to produce a shiftless, weak, and decadent country, then it has succeeded beautifully. And that is their goal, and so we have to say that, in fact, they have succeeded. But it's not a very good one, not a very very good goal, and that's why multiculturalism today is canceled. We're talking about what to do to fight for the culture, giving you some ideas. Well, I'll tell you, this is another thing I'm going to do. I'm putting the work in, okay? For the next four years, I am going to be canceling stuff. That makes a difference. Somehow. I hope. But probably not. We'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, President Trump gives his farewell address and the media go full Meg Ryan in When Harry Met Sally over Joe Biden of all human beings. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen. 